This episode contains adult language and sensitive content. It is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18. Please view and listen at your discretion. Should you have children around you, you may want to listen to this episode in private. Thank you and enjoy the episode. So the pelvic floor is this big unit that sits in the pelvis and you can imagine it kind of like a mini trampoline. So it sits in the pelvis and it attaches to the front of the pelvis, so your pubic bone and your tailbone, and then it attaches to both sides of the pelvis as well. And it actually moves similar to a trampoline as well. So you can imagine if someone's jumping on the trampoline, it kind of drops down and then it lifts up and drops down and lifts up. We came across a very interesting statistic recently. One in three women will experience urinary incontinence at some point in their lifetime. And the topic of women's health physiotherapy is still often considered a taboo. Incontinence is something that we'll be talking about on today's episode with Francesca. And Francesca is a senior therapist from Physio Down Under here in Singapore. It's Singapore's first dedicated women's health physiotherapy practice. And it looks into common pelvic health concerns and for mommies, you know, either uh, pre or pregnant or postnatal conditions such as carpal tunnel syndrome, pelvic girdle pain, and also blocked milk ducts. Why did I want to talk about pelvic floor health? After a few months being postpartum, I didn't have any particularly uh, any interesting issues with pelvic floor or anything particularly uh, but I came across it because I was actually I had got I started working out again and I predominantly at that point was doing CrossFit and I would notice that I was not able to hold my you know I couldn't really like focus on my core very well uh, the core, whenever I thought about holding the core, I was actually experiencing back pain. I wasn't able to be stable. And I was very, um, I was a bit thrown off by it. I wasn't very sure why, because I had heard about uh, pelvic floor, you know, in briefly in my previous, uh, when I used to, when I started physio about 13 years ago for my knees and my back. So I'd heard of it. But I didn't really know the importance of it and what it did, uh, how important, how you know intricate uh, the system was down there. So I went to see the ladies at this practice, and there's so much more um, information out there about pelvic floor that I think is very, very important for all, you know, either expecting mommies or even all women out there, all men out there who may not realize how important the pelvic floor is, or at least the muscles that are connected to the pelvic floor and the transverse abdominis. So women's health physiotherapy is something that is a new uh, faction of physiotherapy, or at least it's, it's coming up as a, a new, uh, it's coming up as a new faction in people's minds as physiotherapy. I think people just know as physiotherapy as rehabilitation from, you know, injuries, for example, but this is a specific one that's guided mainly for women and they deal with a number of issues specifically. But um, I wanted today to talk about the pelvic floor and just some basic information about that. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast and I hope you enjoy the content that you're about to hear.
So hi, Francesca. Um, can I, am I saying your last name correctly? Ruddick? Is it Ruddick? Yeah, yeah that's okay. perfect. Yeah. All right. So today we have Francesca Ruddick, a senior women's health physiotherapist from Physio Down Under based in Singapore, Singapore's first women's health physiotherapy practice. So Francesca, thank you so much for coming on today to talk everything about women's health physio. And I think the first question I'd like to really start off with is, what is women's health physio? I think some people are under the impression that physiotherapy, they kind of understand as, you know, rehabilitation after injury of muscles. But what's the difference between physiotherapy and women's health physio? Uh, first of all, super nice to talk to you today. Um, and yeah, great question. Uh, we get asked this a lot. Um, so I'm really happy that uh, we're able to answer it on the podcast so more people will know what we do. Um, basically what a women's health physio is, is a specialist trained physiotherapist. So we've done a little bit on top of our normal physiotherapy schooling. Um, and we are treating women in all of their life stages. So a lot of people think maybe we're just to do with pregnancy or, you know, just to do with, uh, pelvic problems, but we really do treat people who are in their adolescent years all the way up until in their postmenopausal years as well. Um, basically, we're an expert on therapeutic treatment of the pelvis and the pelvic floor. So uh, a lot of people know of pelvic floor problems such as pelvic pain, um, incontinence, so leaking of urine, uh, wind or, or poo from the back passage when you don't want it to, prolapse, constipation, sexual dysfunction, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we deal with a wide range of pelvic problems. But we also actually deal with a lot of obstetric conditions, so conditions for women during pregnancy. And that could be anything from pain or pelvic disorders, uh, back pain, upper back pain, carpal tunnel. Um, so issues related to pregnancy itself. And then also in the postpartum stages, so after they've had a baby, we deal a lot with kind of return to exercise, difficulties around that. Um, and finally, we also specialize in uh, sort of menopause and, and women in general. So the most important thing I like to say is women are not just small men. Women are very different from men, but a lot of times in medicine, because of the history of how research has taken place, yes. we actually only really know what happens in the male population. This is starting to shift and, and we really are doing a much better job of looking at women as kind of separate to men. But we as women's health physios are really, really keen on kind of promoting the idea that actually women are at risk for different things. We move in different ways and we might have different issues. And so we can't treat women the same way that we necessarily treat a man who's coming through our door. So that's, that's basically what women's health physios do. Um, there are some little bits and pieces, obviously, that I missed, but that's a, a pretty general answer for you. Would you, so basically, for example, if, because I know pelvic floor issues are not just limited to women, like men have it too. Um, yep. Are there women's health physios wouldn't see men for the same issues, right? I mean, are there specific pelvic floor, pelvic physiotherapists? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so generally um, in, in different countries, um, there's different kind of groups that advocate. And uh, for example, in the UK or Canada, we're known as pelvic obstetric gynecological physiotherapists, which means we could treat women, but we can also treat just pelvises of men as well. Um, so for me, before moving to Singapore, I was actually treating men for different pelvic uh, disorders. Um, so it really depends. Our practice right now just treats women. Um, 
but there are pelvic physios for men um, for different reasons as well. So yes, the pelvic floor is definitely across both sexes. Yeah. Um, it just uh, depends on what the training background of the physio is. So not all women's physios will treat men as well, but a lot of women's health and pelvic physios will do both. Okay. I'm just going to go a little bit extempo off the questions a bit, because I'm just very of curious for, for listeners tuning in, like, why would they go see a, uh, that was a really mouthful, a pelvic gynecological obstetric <laughs> physiotherapist? So we call them GP physiotherapists, um, so POGP if you want to. Okay, so why would less. they see, <laughs> that's a little bit less of a mouthful that way, but why, why would a man or a woman or in what situations, obviously I'm sure there's a, there's a billion different situations, but what are maybe like the top five or top three situations that a man or a woman would want to see a physiotherapist that's very spe you know, specialized in this faction compared to just any regular physiotherapist? So usually, if I was to kind of just blanket it, it would be much more related to, I would say, top five, like incontinence. So whether that's leaking of urine before you get to the toilet, leaking of stool, or, you know, especially in the male population, now that we're talking about that, like dribbling after they've finished urinating. Um, and then with men specifically, because we're on this topic, a lot of erectile dysfunction um, and also we do a lot of work in men post prostatectomy, which is the surgery that men have when they have like a prostate enlargement um, or a prostate cancer. So actually helping them with that. The other thing that's really kind of brought across, you know, both men and women is pelvic pain. Um, there's lots of different categories of pelvic pain. Um, but this could be, you know, pain due to nerve damage. This could be pain due to different problems within the pelvis itself, the organs, um, that can be a really major life-changing issue for a lot of people. So we do a lot of work with pain. Um, the other areas that we would work in is also just general sort of muscle and, and joint problems of the pelvis. So that could be following an injury, say falling off a bike, um, or it might just be, you know, you were walking around one day and your, your back of your pelvis or your bum started to hurt. So we do work in those areas as well. Um, and then the last thing would be obviously your, your pelvic health for, for more of the, the women's health side of things in terms of pregnancy, um, you know, the muscles of the pelvis um, and, and recovery from that. And when should, um, okay, so if we go back to women then, in terms of like if a person is wanting to get pregnant or is it they are already pregnant, like when would they be referred to a women's health physio or can they just opt to go see one and why should they go see one per se if are they pregnant and then they come see you what what's happening so it can be a bit of both um we get referrals from obstetricians and gynecologists who would be looking after those women um but we also get people coming right in off of the the street into our clinic it depends on the country that you live in but in singapore for example uh, a physiotherapist is a first-hand practitioner so we can actually see people without referrals um, and what we might be doing is, is stuff related to the pelvic floor, whether they were pregnant or not. So they don't, you know, some of them aren't coming in with any issues. Some of them are coming in because they want to learn or they feel like they can't uh, feel uh, if they're contracting their pelvic floor correctly or they want to prepare for delivery and postnatal periods. Um, other people are coming in because they have something going on. So a lot of times it'll be they talk to their girlfriend and their girlfriend said, actually, when you when you jump, you shouldn't be leaking urine. And so mm. they're coming in to see if they can manage that or they're feeling something funny or different in the pelvis. Um, 
it's it's very broad. Uh, but yeah. yes, we I would say we see people you know off the street who are coming in as well as people who are referred. Yeah, I think the first time I ever heard of a women's health physio or women's health as a phys in physiotherapy practices as a faction was when I fell, so I fell down the stairs when I was 18 and I basically uh, misaligned my pelvis. And for five years, I didn't really know, except I just couldn't, re I couldn't retract, uh, I couldn't um, recline my chair, sorry, in airplanes for like the 14 hour journey between oh. the UK and Hong Kong when That's I was doing uni. Yeah, it was, and no one, we couldn't get any answers because orthopedics would just be like, oh, do you have any tingling <laughs> down the leg? And I'm like, no, you're good. I'm like, no, this cannot, this cannot be it. This could not be it. Um, and then I went to see a, a physiotherapist in Hong Kong and then they were the first ones to go, oh, you must have really, first they use the word core, which I think every, you know, teenager should start finding out what the core muscles really are and not be just doing sit-ups just because PE teacher says so. Um, and then the second thing is they said the pelvic floor. And I feel like I was doing it relatively okay but I, th I think I did it better when I came to like I came to see Monica at your practice right and I actually understood the pelvic floor because of the type of examination that you guys do um so yes uh I it's it's a very interesting topic that most people don't come across and would you say because I, I came across um a saying once by someone that you know most people who have back pain probably have issues or there's a weakness in the pelvic floor possibly so just to just to kind of talk about that um yeah. i think what's interesting is um generally we treat a lot of like pelvic floor issues but there are muscles within the pelvis that are actually related to the hip so we do actually treat a lot of hip issues as well. Um, sometimes people who have seen, you know, three or four orthopedic physios with hip problems, you know, they've been having it for years, they come and see us, they're referred over. And, you know, the issue is actually something that, that we need to deal with inside the pelvis. So we do treat a lot of other issues besides the pelvic health, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in terms of your comment about back pain, and then its relation to pelvic floor, there are a lot of studies and more keep popping out to say that actually low back pain and pelvic floor dysfunction, so the pelvic floor not working properly, um, are highly correlated and mm. vice versa. Now, the thing about that is it doesn't necessarily mean the pelvic floor is weak. Um, yeah. It could mean that the pelvic floor is actually really, really hyperactive. So right. really, really not just functioning well, okay? Yeah. So I think I wanna steer us away from thinking, oh, if your pelvic floor is not working, it's because it's really weak. Because mm. a lot of times it's just that it doesn't know how to let go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, back pain, back pain is a huge thing that we treat. Um, it's not always pelvic floor related. Um, yeah. but I would definitely say in terms of literature and in terms of the research and evidence and our clinical practice, we do often find that pelvic floor dysfunction goes hand in hand with back pain and vice versa. Okay. So let's maybe talk very basically on what is the pelvic floor. Yes. <laughs> I think a lot, of, a lot of people think the pelvic floor is, is one muscle um, yeah. and it's actually a group of muscles and it also includes the ligaments, which are kind of like uh, the masking tape that kind of holds things together. So the pelvic floor is this big unit that sits in the pelvis and you can imagine it kind of like a mini trampoline. So it sits in the pelvis, it attaches to the front of the pelvis, so your pubic bone and your tailbone, and then it attaches to both sides of the pelvis as well. 
And it actually moves similar to a trampoline as well. So you can imagine if someone's jumping on the trampoline, it kind of drops down and then it lifts up and drops down and lifts up. And what it does is it's got a few holes in it. Okay, so for women it has three holes and for men it has two. And around those holes you've got some squeezy bits of muscles. So those muscles, they actually go around the holes and they squeeze it shut. The mm. pelvic floor also lifts everything up inside. So imagine that trampoline kind of lifting up as you jump up into the air. Um, it's really important for a few things. So its roles, the most common one is continence. So making sure that you know we're not having accidents. Um, it supports the pelvic organs, so it's lifting up in the woman, the uterus, the back passage, and the bladder. In the man, it's just obviously the, the bladder and the back passage. Um, and then it's a good support for baby. So if you are pregnant, you know, it's holding that baby up, and then it needs to relax and like go to let that baby come out. So it plays a very important role in pregnancy and birth. Um, and it's a big support for the spine and the pelvis. So this kind of brings us back to that, that concept of back pain being related to the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor works together with the core muscles. So it sits at the base and then above it, you've got the diaphragm, which is the breathing muscle. And then around the front, you have the deep abdominal muscles and then the back muscles. And they all work together to form this almost canister of a pressure system. So it's really, really important for supporting pelvis spine and your trunk in general. And then the last thing it does is actually sexual function. So it helps to contribute to sexual sensation. Um, really, really important uh, in terms of sexual pain um, and sexual disorders. It, it can weaken for multiple different reasons um, or become dysfunctional for different reasons. And I'll just quickly list those now. Um, it can weaken due to pregnancy and childbirth, um, lifting heavy things. So if your job involves you lifting up things all day, um, we often see some dysfunction in the pelvic floor there. Right. Chronic cough, that's why smoking um, is a risk factor for pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, age especially changes with menopause. So we know that hormones can change how uh, muscles work. Um, and then obesity. So being overweight, having extra weight pushing down on that trampoline all the time. And then finally, straining on the toilet, actually. So having you know, problems with passing bowels, um, you know, straining constantly and, and doing that for many, many years can actually cause some, some problems with that pelvic floor. So that's a little bit about the pelvic floor. Hopefully that, uh, that helps. And how is it sort of... Um... So in terms of for women, right, uh, postpartum, we always talk about like pelvic floor health and also about the core muscles. Can you explain like how they're connected and why they're so important, um, you know, for postpartum women to sort of pay attention to? So during pregnancy, um, slowly as your baby grows, it becomes bigger and heavier and you put a lot of weight on just sort of in one area. You are putting some weight elsewhere naturally through hormones, but generally it's this big bowling ball that's kind of sitting on this trampoline and it sits there and it gets bigger and bigger for about nine months. And then you have to bear down. And so you're kind of pushing, pushing, pushing and that pelvic floor gets stretched, stretched, stretched. And it's supposed to do that. It's really, really important. You know, this is natural. It's supposed to do it. But after you have the baby, what ends up happening is that pelvic floor that was really stretched in childbirth and throughout those nine months, plus your abdominal wall, okay? So you can imagine that bowling ball is also pushing outwards on the abs. Um, those two structures, which are a main part of that core component, they get a little bit stretched, okay? And what ends up happening is over time after you've had baby, it improves naturally. The body does a very, very good job of that, but it can actually stay a little bit what I would call lazy. So sometimes what ends up happening is instead of the pelvic floor and those abs kind of turning on 
before you do a movement, we often see in the postpartum population, those muscles turn on after the movement's already happened. And that's right. when we start to get a little bit of a problem. So we could end up having back pain, for example, or, you know, we end up having some pelvic floor dysfunction, whether that's, you know, prolapse or incontinence or otherwise. So our job as, as, as women's health physios is to really help promote pelvic health um, throughout the pregnancy. So to help people find their pelvic floor, make sure it's functional. And then after they've had the baby to really help them sort of regain that connection between body and mind, and then develop a, a nice, strong, functional core uh, unit to help them, you know, whether that's returning to exercise, whether that's just doing their daily activities, um, and also have a really healthy sex life as well. And so when, for example, when we're talking about the core, um, a lot of new mothers are really con concerned about diastasis recti. Um, can we talk a little bit about what that, that is and, and, you know, if, how would they know if they had it? Uh, how would they know if they need to do something about it, whether it's something that they can do on their own or something that they actually have to go see a medical professional? When is the stage that they have to go to surgery, that kind of thing? Yeah, great questions. Um, pretty common questions. I think diastasis recti is um, like the media, the media topic these days in terms of women's health. And generally, I, I kind of like to explain it similar to if we were looking at a bodybuilder. Okay, so if we're looking at a bodybuilder, you can look at their tummy, and you see a six pack or an eight pack. And you've got kind of four or three kind of lumps down the sides. And then you've got a line down the middle. And that line down the middle, it's called the linea alba, which means white line. And if you were to dissect a human, it would, it would be white. That's why it's called that. And it's a nice kind of thick, thick and strong piece of tissue that connects the two, what we call rectus abdominis muscles. Those are the six-pack six muscles, so your kind of sit-up muscles. Um, and the distance between the two sides, so the distance between one side of a three and the other side of a three, is uh, that interrecti distance. And that's what people are, are really concerned about when, when they consider diastasis recti. Now, what we do as women's health physios is try to promote the fact that actually, usually that distance is not what we're so concerned about because the studies that are coming out are saying that most women during the third or even second trimester of their pregnancy will actually have a diastasis recti or a larger distance than what would be considered a standard distance um, between the two sides of those muscles. That distance does generally do a very good job of decreasing naturally after the baby comes out. Um, but in some women, um, that stretch of those tissues that has happened during pregnancy to accommodate for baby very naturally doesn't actually get that much smaller. So you end up having a bigger distance between the two sides of the six-pack muscles. Um, if we were to think about actual numbers and how big that distance would be, um, the consensus and the, the easy way to put it is to say two fingers is normal and anything above two fingers distance. So if you were to put your fingers kind of just above or below your belly button and feel the two sides of those six pack, any bigger distance than two fingers is generally known as a possible diastasis. What we're realizing these days is that the distance matters a lot less than how the actual linea alba or that midline feels. So right. we're really looking as physios as to, does it feel like there's a hard kind of thing under your fingers? Does it feel tense? Does it feel like there's something stopping your fingers sinking really deep? Or does it feel really boggy? And 
I think the biggest thing I say to women is that if there's any concern that you might have developed a diastasis recti that isn't improving, you know, within the first six to nine weeks after you've had the baby, then the best thing that you can do is actually go to a women's health physio and we can assess that properly for you. There are a lot of personal trainers and yoga instructors that do kind of put their fingers there or, or, or show you how to test for that. But I think the most difficult thing is if you haven't felt what a really deep midline feels like, a really boggy midline feels like, you might be a little bit unsure. And, and I think the worry is, is, is not worth it. So you might as well pop in um, and we can do a quick check for you. And um, it's really normal. I think it, the, the, the thing I want to get across here is that the, the linea alba does stretch. It softens. Yeah. You have to do that because otherwise there's no room for baby. I mean, what are we expecting it to come out the back, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, hmm. So it, it is normal to feel like your tummy has been stretched after you've had the baby. And it's more if you're having, you know, incontinence, you're having back pain, or if you're feeling like your tummy is really bulging or really sticking out and feeling really soft and almost flabby. And if you're quite concerned about that, that's when I would suggest that you come and see a women's health physio or even your GP. Often, How early would that be? Jesus? You said six to eight weeks, but yeah. I mean, tummies don't go in that quickly <laughs> like it took 10 months no. to grow this baby so clearly it yes. should take about 10 months 10 months for or nine to 10 months to go back towards its original original close to original form so there is some research to say that those first nine weeks um without even doing any specific type of exercise the linea alba and the interrecti distance will change um and that's a natural kind of thing that will happen with your body without any effort so usually I say six to nine weeks for two reasons. Number one, your body's doing a really good job of healing itself at that point. And number two, you're also learning to bond with baby. Um, those first six weeks, we know that those gen gentle sort of movements and, and, and uh, efforts with baby are enough. You don't generally need to do a lot more. And then on top of that, we, we also know that the tissues of the body, so the skin, the muscles that have been stretched during pregnancy, they take actually about 12 weeks. Um, to get a little bit more um, normal like it was before pregnancy. So I, it, it, it can be at any point that you can come in and see us. Mm. Um, we're not expecting a flat tummy at six weeks at all. That is definitely not what I'm trying to say. It's more that um, if you're you know, concerned at two weeks, you can come in, but there's not really that much we're going to probably do with you because we want to give that body time to do what it does naturally. And then once it's kind of hit that you know, six to nine weeks, if we're finding that actually things aren't improving, that's when we really want to give it a little bit of a push. Um, there's no problem coming in early. Obviously, we can guide you. Um, but I think, you know, if you are before six weeks, really just give your body a chance to heal, um, see how it goes, and then pop in to see us um, at that point. Okay. And what type of, well, so you say six to nine weeks, and you say 12 weeks, so say, but like, in terms of if women, I mean, most most moms who have who are postpartum they're kind of like oh when can i get my tummy back you know yes. i want to start working out like when when really should they start working out or what exercises can they start doing at what point and then when can they go a little bit more hardcore not hardcore more intense than before maybe i think um the biggest thing that we try to promote is that everyone's a little bit different so it's really hard to just say okay you know, you're six weeks out, start to cycle or start to run. Yeah. Um, 
what we tried to to do is is look at the woman as an individual what were they doing during pregnancy you know what sort of symptoms might they have um, are they feeling really good are they sleeping well how is their mood how is their diet all of these things can influence their recovery and also their return to exercise in terms of again kind of putting a general general number to things the recommendation is that impact exercise so things like jogging um, things like you know your any sort of jumping jacks or um, anything where you are putting extra weight through the body doesn't happen until at least 12 weeks um, mm. postpartum you can generally start exercise as long as your obstetrician has allowed you to at about six weeks and that goes for both cesarean section and for vaginal delivery okay but before the six weeks we usually say that walking is the best exercise that you can do and listening to your body and seeing how your body feels is the most important. If you wanted to start extra exercise before the six weeks, it would really depend on whether you had a vaginal delivery, what kind of delivery that was, and if you had a cesarean section. Because when you have a C-section, you have to be a little bit more um, slow with your rehab just because you have had uh, an operation at that point. Yeah. So there is, there are really gentle kind of exercises that you can do within those first six weeks, but it's very dependent on the person. So in that case, I would always talk to your obstetrician, gynecologist, your midwife, see what, you know, things they suggest for you. And then if you aren't getting the answers you, you need from them, um, come and see a, a women's health physio and we can kind of guide you with those first six weeks. Okay. After the six weeks, just to quickly give you, a, a, again, a bit of a generalist answer, um, you can start to do those low impact exercises again. So things like stationary cycling, um, as long as you're not bleeding anymore and your scar is healed, you can start swimming, um, some postnatal yoga. And we really, really like uh, sort of a postnatal Pilates approach because that's really going to help you to find those muscles again, those deep, deep muscles inside the tummy and the pelvic floor, and to really get you ready for some of those other activities by getting those active right away. So when we're talking high impact, we're talking also like uh, those would be after three months or 12 weeks postpartum on a general scale, but uh, things like even like H, like HIIT uh, training, yes. CrossFit, yeah. you know, weight, weight training, all of that should wait at least past yeah. the three month mark. That's generally what we suggest. Um, these are based on guidelines that were written uh, in March of 2019 or published in March 2019. And um, it's really more to do with the natural process of tissue healing. So yeah. it's to do with the hormones changing and just our body recovering from nine months of having something inside. Um, everyone is different, right? Yeah. I've had people who, you know, return earlier. I've had people who need it a lot longer. And I think really it's um it's up to how your body is doing personally rather yeah. than you know just saying okay perfect i'm the same as my friend 12 weeks comes i'm just going to go for it yeah. you also need to consider you know what it is that you're wanting to do like someone who's you know a professional uh sprint athlete versus someone who just wants to go back and do some yoga is is a little bit different right so mm. activities are going to be very different and also the build up to that's going to be different as well so in those you know 6 to 12 weeks that you start the exercises, what we want to do is we want to make sure those exercises are appropriate for you and appropriate for your goals. So what do you want? And then we can help to guide you that. Is it returning to doing five kilometers of a run? Is it running a marathon in two hours and 30 minutes? And yeah. 
I think having patience is super important. Yes. Mm. I, I, like to, I like to say it's similar to treating any other injury, right? So we're not injured, but in terms of recovery, we, we're not going to push knee pain to run a marathon, you know, right away. We, we need to kind of listen to our body, take that time, um, do our rehab, and then I think you're going to find that you return much more easily and, and feeling much better in yourself. Okay. So then, um, in terms of exercises, are there any sort of, cause I mean, my, my own gynae, uh, she basically was just like, okay, start your Kegels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got a Google Kegel. <laughs> What's a Kegel? <laughs> what is a Kegel? Is that, is that what, what is it? Is, is that what people should be doing? What, what is it? <laughs> so in terms of, uh, pelvic floor exercises, I think, um, everyone's thought is, okay, I just got to kind of squeeze or stop my pee. Um, the pelvic floor is a group of muscles, remember. So it goes from the front to the back and side to side. So we actually have to incorporate the back passage, the vagina, and the front passage into the squeeze. It's also not just a squeeze, it's a lift as well. So if we got into a really comfortable position, maybe if you're in sitting or lying, somewhere where your buttocks and your thighs are really relaxed, we want everything to relax, including the tummy. What you want to think about first is actually trying to squeeze the muscle around your back passage. So almost think about trying to pull a marble up inside the bum, or you can think about stopping wind. If you do that a few times, kind of feel that squeeze, try and keep everything else relaxed. You then want to think a little bit about the vagina. And so then I like to use the, the image of almost like pulling a tissue up inside the vagina. So if you imagine kind of like lifting a tissue. And this one is often really, really tricky for, for people uh, just generally, because that's not a sensation they're used to feeling. So just trying that, you might feel your back passage engage as well. That's okay. Um, once you've done a few little squeeze and let goes, you can think about your front passage. And I know this is getting complicated. We're going to put it all together at the end. Yeah. But the front passage, if you think about it more like you're, you're stopping urine, or some people like to think about if they had like a little garden pee, like a little frozen pee, they're actually trying to pull that up inside the front. And then if you put them all together, once you've tried that, you should almost imagine that you're doing your back passage, then your vagina, and then your front passage, and you're lifting and squeezing up. So should they all lift all together? or All is it together. One, one? Yeah, so all together. So I, I broke it apart because oftentimes people will say, oh, I only feel my back passage working. Right. Mm. Uh, oh, oh, I only feel like I'm stopping pee. And it's actually these group of muscles that kind of lift and squeeze together. And right. if you only feel one, or if you're struggling with this, this is when a women's health physio can come into really important, uh, important uh, times. So, you know, a women's health physio is going to take you aside and, and say, okay, we're going to do an examination, or maybe we're, we're going to use some ultrasound on the outside, and we're going to help you see your pelvic floor. We're going to help you find your pelvic floor. Because especially if you've just had a baby, this can be one of those things that's almost, it, it feels almost impossible. It's like, mm. I, I just can't find it. And uh, in about one out of three women, we know that actually they think they found it, but they're yeah. doing it completely wrong. Yeah. And so, they're you know, gripping I, maybe rather yeah, than gripping or a lot of women will actually bear down as well. Mm. So instead of actually squeezing, you might actually be pushing down. Yeah. Um, the other thing is also a, a women's health physio can help, help you figure out maybe your pelvic floor actually is just too active. So we yeah. have quite a few women who come in and they're like, I'm squeezing, you know, 10, 15 times a day. And I just feel like I'm doing nothing, but I'm still leaking. 
And so we, we end up, you know, having to, to do the opposite. So learning to relax those muscles. And I think this is one of the reasons I'm not such a huge advocate for just telling everyone to squeeze. Um, because it's, it's really important that, that if you are having any symptoms, you actually get assessed. And that's really the gold standard um, of treatment here. Um, rather than just saying, go and squeeze, you know, if your muscles are already working too hard, that's just going to make things much worse. Yeah, I think I remember going um, to, to Monica probably or someone and then uh, they were just like, you know, you're not relaxing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, you, you're, your muscles aren't relaxing. They're too tense. So I think what has, what's happened is that because of my injuries previously and they taught me like, oh, the lift and, you know, pelvic floor, you must lift. I probably like subconsciously just thought, oh, you're supposed to lift this the entire time and never let go and that's what's actually going to hold my whole core together but that's no that's that's wrong right you shouldn't be holding the whole thing all the time right i mean you know what we we see this really commonly it's um especially when people are taught you know pelvic floor is really important and and even um in in women or men who maybe have had issues in their childhood for example you know if bedwetting was something that used to happen oftentimes it, the worry of oh i'm gonna wet the bed or oh i'm gonna have an accident can you know change how the pelvic floor is functioning in their body and and so what i find really awesome about my job is that i'm able to kind of take someone aside and say, hey, um, actually, your pelvic floor is working okay. It's just working over time. Um, mm. let's, let's change that. Well, hey, it's, you know, we can get your muscles working again, and, and this will feel a lot better once we start to find those muscles. So, yeah, you're totally right. I, I think um, the biggest lesson from that is you, you don't know until someone checks, right? Mm. You think you're doing it right. Uh, and, in fact, what you were doing might have been making the situation worse. Yeah. So when should you be turning on the pelvic floor, baby? If that makes so, sense. Yeah, I think I think generally that's a pretty difficult question to, to answer. Um, the pelvic floor naturally, if you haven't had any problems with your pelvic floor, um, it is probably doing a very good job without you thinking about it. If you think about going to the gym and doing a squat, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to activate my quadriceps now. I'm going to activate my hamstrings and now I'm going to squeeze my bum. You kind of just do it. And so that's the same with the pelvic floor in a functional person who's, who's doing, you know, generally very, very well and has no symptoms. If, if you're struggling, you know, if, if you're finding that you are leaking before you cough or sneeze, or, you know, you are finding that you're having a heaviness in the, in the pelvic floor or any constipation, sexual dysfunction, pain, that's the time when I think it's probably more important that you get assessed so that mm. we can show you when maybe that pelvic floor might not be working very well, rather than saying, you know, go and squeeze your pelvic floor every time you cough or sneeze because your pelvic floor is weak. Um, so it's probably a pretty difficult question for me to answer. I know yeah. it's a bit of a complicated answer as well, but yeah, I think it really depends on the person. That pelvic floor, if you think about it more like a dynamic structure than one that you just kind of turn on and leave on, um, you know, I like to think about it uh, similar to one of the uh, famous sort of pelvic health physios in the States. It's like, kind of like a, a piston in a car. So it's a shock mm -hmm. absorber, kind of going up and down as you move throughout the day. And if you are going to do something like, you know, lift something really heavy, that pelvic floor is going to squeeze and contract. For me right. to say anybody, well, if you lift something heavy, squeeze and contract your pelvic floor, I, I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't really know what's going on inside of them. Mm, okay, fair enough. In terms of like the core muscles, then how are they? What are the core muscles that postnatal women should be 
sort of paying attention to. Um, I say I ask this because I think a lot of um, postnatal yoga, postnatal Pilates, no, nothing wrong with them. It's all good. But whenever they do say, "Oh, pull the pull the navel back towards the back," um, I used to find that actually I was bearing down a lot rather than actually mm. lifting. And I only realized that was because there was a relationship between the transverse abdominis, which was the actual core muscle that, and and the internal obliques, is that that right? Like those are like your majority core muscles. When I think in my head for the longest time, it was the six in eight pack that was your core muscle, which is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it's it's hard because um, core muscles, they work together with so many other muscles on the outside. So it's not really fair to say you can only isolate your core. A lot of times that core is going to turn on with other muscles. Um, when you're thinking about your pelvic floor, it, it is highly connected to those transverse abdominis. And just for anyone who's listening, the transverse abdominis are those muscles that are underneath the six pack and something called your oblique muscles, which are kind of the muscles that help you side bend or twist or do a side plank. And the transverse abdominis Um, They're part of your core because what they do is they kind of work like a corset. So when they turn on, they tighten like a corset. So they kind of give you kind of a waist and they really support that trunk system. Um, When you're turning on your pelvic floor, we tend to see that in a functional uh, pelvic floor and core, the transverse abdominis turns on a little bit and then vice versa. Um, I, I think you know, if you're working in Pilates and, and you want to focus on your core, um, you probably want to think about both. So I often will use the cue of a pelvic floor to help with the transversus activation. Um, or, you know, if we're just thinking about our tummy. I try to make sure that we're using maybe the breath. So rather than holding the breath and bracing, we're actually trying to think about maybe a gentle exhale. Um, the other thing that's really, really important here that I was going to get to is just, just breathing in general is very, very important, um, especially after you've had a baby, um, taking some nice, really deep diaphragm breaths. So breathing into the rib cage, breathing into the belly, um, that's really, really helpful for teaching the core to work again. Because when you're pregnant, baby pushes up on the diaphragm and the diaphragm has a lot less room to, to move. So we say the diaphragm excursion is a lot less. And when the diaphragm doesn't move quite as well, the pelvic floor kind of gets a little stuck too. And then we tend to find that the the tummy muscles aren't in the best position to turn on. So the first exercise within those first, you know, six weeks postpartum is actually, one of my favorites is breathing. Um, Just learning to take those deep breaths again, learning to move that diaphragm down all the way and back up because that pelvic floor will actually naturally move up and down with that diaphragm as well. And I hope that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, very much so. In terms of like, maybe do's and don'ts, can we cover a few do's and don'ts for like of course. pregnant women and also postpartum women? So I think um, we're talking exercise with the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of pregnancy, again, it's not one size fits all. I, I just want to really, um, really highlight that. Listen to what your obstetrician or your gynecologist or your midwife is saying, because everyone's going to have different risks. Um, and you want to make sure that they're okay with you exercising. But what we say is we, we follow the guidelines from the research and 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise um, during pregnancy is highly recommended for those with very low risk pregnancies. Uh, again, make sure that this is okayed by your healthcare professional first. 
Um, and if you were already doing exercise before, continue what you're doing. If you're new to exercise, go really gradual with this. Um, in terms of moderate intensity, what does that mean? We want to make sure that you can hold a conversation when you're doing it. So we're not talking about, you know, going for 50 meter sprints 50 times. Um, we're talking about, you know, going for a nice brisk walk. If you were jogging before, you can continue to jog. Um, you know, your, your uh, modified yoga, so your antenatal yoga and Pilates. And we really like like aqua exercises as well. So aqua bike, aqua size, that can be really nice. Takes the pressure off the tummy. Um, and then with that, uh, we also want to consider making sure that uh, we don't bump the bump. So, you know, this isn't uh, a promotion for horse riding or right. doing any sort of, you know, really intense impact sports. Um, you really want to consider uh, how you feel about actually cycling on the road, for example. Um, we want to make sure that that bump is, is taken care of. We also want to avoid anything like scuba diving. Um, now, this is going to be something that you, you're aware of if you are a scuba diver, but uh, that's really, really important that you avoid that. Um, in terms of things to watch out for, you want to make sure you don't get too hot. Uh, you want to make sure that you're keeping up that fluid intake. And we generally recommend that you maintain a relatively low impact exercise regime. So again, we're not necessarily looking for you to go and do a bunch of you know, giant tuck jumps. Now, if this is something that you were doing before and you are an athlete and you need to keep doing it, then I think you need to have a discussion with your doctor. But because we've got that extra load on the pelvic floor, we tend to say, you know, avoiding really big impact activities is, is important. So jumping, um, not such a great, like kind yeah. of jumping. Yeah. yeah. And you can generally, if you're doing like a, you know, if you're doing a, a class and there's a little bit of jumping jacks or something, there's, there's usually modifications that they will, yeah. they will provide you anyways, um, you know, sides stepping and things. So you can keep up the cardiovascular um, exercise, but you're not necessarily putting a lot of load through that pelvic floor. And that's, that's really more important kind of for those later stages when, when you are a little bit heavier uh, through the belly. And then in terms of core exercises, um, this is a lot uh, of, of, of information, but you probably want to avoid anything that's, that's causing you to, to have what we would call doming. Um, so that's when uh, down the middle of your belly, you might feel that it, there's like a, a little something poking up, like, like a, a little ridge or a bulge. Mm -hmm. um, and usually things like sit-ups, um, especially second and, and third trimester, um, or anything like a, a full plank, um, you know, pull-ups on the bar if you're into CrossFit and things like that. We just want to be aware of that. Um, and that's just because that, that might be actually putting a little bit of extra pressure on that linea alba again. Um, which could cause a little bit more of a stretch through through that uh, and cause you to have a, a bit longer of a rehab after your your pregnancy. Um, other than that, I mean, exercise and pregnancy, super important. Uh, some, some really good things coming out of it, better sleep, better mood, uh, body weight control, sugar control for diabetes, blood pressure control. Um, so we do promote exercise and pregnancy. Just make sure that you check with your gynecologist or your midwife. Um, is there so, any kind of exercises that they can't like so you said aqua for example walking is yeah. another one are there any sort of like movements per se like a squat still good uh lunges that kind of thing so in in someone who's having a really low risk pregnancy hasn't been told not to otherwise and isn't having any severe pain or symptoms i mean squats lunges those are all absolutely fine uh, i've had patients continue with their crossfit all the way until 38 weeks um, it's really dependent on the person. It's really dependent on what you were doing before um, and how you're feeling. 
in terms of, you know, if you have pain in the pelvis, so there is certain conditions during pregnancy where you can have pain, pelvis, low back, um, knees, then I would probably avoid anything that's causing the, the situation to get worse. Um, and then I would also see a healthcare practitioner because we can guide you as to maybe what exercises would be appropriate so that you can stay active, but without making the situation worse. But generally, um, you know, you, you don't want to be holding a squat for, you know, five minutes. Yeah. Um, and you might want to avoid putting loads of weight on that squat, depending on, you know, what you were doing before pregnancy. Um, mm. So lighten the weights a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you can do squats, you can do lunges, you can even keep running if you were running before. And this is this applies to both pregnant and also postpartum. So postpartum, um, mm. again, kind of talking about more timing with this. Um, mm. That first six weeks, starting with some breathing, some you know really gentle walking, increasing your walking every day within your tolerance, your pelvic floor exercises. Um, and then, you know, after that six weeks, if you've gotten the go ahead from your healthcare practitioner, you can definitely start with your stationary cycling, you can go back in the water, you can do any sort of uh, Pilates yoga that's a bit modified because we're still recovering. Um, and you can start going back to the gym, cross trainer can be quite good. Um, and then I would say if you are thinking about tummy muscles at this point, again, sort of that first six weeks or so, you probably want to avoid doing any sit-ups. Um, you probably want to avoid doing a full plank, um, any sort of V-sits, those challenging kind of abdominal exercises. You probably want to just let it, let it be for a little bit. You're doing enough kind of lifting baby, moving around the house. And then after that, I really, really do promote that kind of postpartum Pilates class to really refresh your mind, build that connection between your mind and body. Um, it, it, postpartum yoga is great for that as well. Um, and once you feel you have a good grasp of it, you can move on and, and start doing more of your gym exercises as long as you have no symptoms. And why did you go into women's health physio out of curiosity? <laughs> Since you started with physio and then you went into women's health, right? You said so. So it's, it's actually, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll shorten it for you. Um, when I finished my undergraduate degree, so my, I, my bachelor's, I was uh, originally going to go into medical school. So the way that it works in Canada is you have to do four years of your undergraduate and then you do something called the MCAT, which is a big exam, and then you apply to go to medical school. And at the, that time, I think I was actually quite sick of doing school. So I had, you know, written my thesis. I'd done a lot of research. I'd spent hours in the lab. And I was kind of like, okay, look, I need a little bit of a break. So I took a year off. And in that year, because I had experience in ultrasound imaging, and I had written a few scientific papers on that from a radiology department, I got recruited to be a research assistant in a pelvic floor rehabilitation lab at the university that I was at. And so I kind of just fell just into this pure, purely by coincidence of just coincidence. Chance. Someone knew someone. They knew I had, uh, you know, experience in um, analyzing these 4D ultrasound images, and they knew I had statistical and research background. So they kind of said, "Hey, I, I know you want to go into healthcare, so why don't you go and do this job?" So I went into this job, and we were doing a lot of um, National uh, Institute of Healthcare Research work, which was really, really cool because it meant we got to travel across the province quite a bit, work in different hospitals, collecting this data. And I was working with a specialist in pelvic floor, um, and I wasn't doing any of the, the actual assessment, but I was you know, there uh, taking the data down, so I got to see what they did. And I actually had no idea that this 
sort of physio existed. Um, I was really athletic. Uh, I played a varsity sport in my university and I captained the team. So I knew like sport was a big part of me. So I was like, physio could be a thing, but I just didn't know there was a gyne side to physio. And I really loved it because one of the things about women's health physio is it's this So a lot of physio out there is research-based, but there might be fluctuations in whether or not a certain exercise is working or you know, a certain method or a certain therapeutic uh, technique. Whereas in women's health physio, what we find is it's, it's really, really effective. And I like that because it meant that what I was doing for my patients was gonna work. Um, and so then I went and I did my master's and uh, I was on the, the board of the Women's Health Association for the Canadian Physio Association. Um, and I loved like advocating for it. Um, and then being an athlete, you know, I, I, I've seen how many girls get treated, but they get treated just the same as guys. And I think that always bothered me a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of fell into it that way. And I, I went and I did all my postgraduate stuff and, and I've loved it. I, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I went into it. Um, and actually when I graduated from my master's, I remember there was a little, uh, I guess a little saying that each person got like most likely to be, and I was most likely to teach Kegels. So <laughs> I guess it all came true in the end. Um, <laughs> But no, it's been, it's been a great journey. I've, I've been very fortunate to work in, in a ton of different uh, settings, like work for sports teams, hospitals, private practice, you know, clinics, community care, up northern Canada. It's, it's been a really nice journey. I feel very lucky. Women's Health Physio is, a, is fantastic. And what is the shift that you want to create with your craft? I think for me, it's that I like to be able to provide women the knowledge that they need, but also to be the one that gives them that permission to, to, to say to them, you know what, I know you've been told from, you know, this person and Instagram and Facebook that actually like, you just can't do this, or this is not okay. Or if you're leaking, you can't ever run again. And my goal is to actually help that person get back to whatever it is that they want to do within reason. They'll have, you know, maybe some risks that we need to talk about, but I, my shift is moving away from that kind of traditional, well, you have this, so you can't do this to, well, you have this, so let's do what we can and let's get you to where you want to be. Um, I, I really like being able to get, you know, my patients back doing what they want to do and nothing is really off limits as long as they know what the risks are. So for me, you know, it's, it's function, function, function and goals. Hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode and learning so many more new things that I've definitely learned for sure. <laughs> so thank you so much, Francesca, for sharing no all this information with us. No problem.